Welcome to Answers That Count. If you own a business, you can count on us to give you the answers you need to succeed in all aspects of your business. And now, here's your host, Charles Musgrove. Hello, welcome back. I am your host, Charles Musgrove with Answers That Count. Thank you for joining us for another exciting episode. You know, all this, all the shows are great, so this is going to be another one. So uh, just sit back, buckle up, and get ready for a great show. You know, we have all of our other shows out there on YouTube. And if you're watching on YouTube, leave me a comment. Make sure that you subscribe and that you hit the alert button, the little bell, so that you'll get notified of future shows that we post. We're also on Roku TV and Fire TV. Be sure to, to uh, subscribe to that as well, and you'll get notified of future shows that we that are posted out there. And if you, if you like podcasts, we're on all your favorite podcast channels. Uh, Apple Podcast is one, iHeartRadio, Spotify. So we're on all those podcast channels. So be sure to subscribe and hit the alert button so you'll get notified when we post future shows out there. So... This is going to be a show that's a little bit different, but it's going to be awesome, just like all of our other shows. We are joined with Steel Smith III, and he's out in California. Steel, welcome to Answers That Count. Thank you, Charles. All it's right, good to be here, man. It's great to uh, it's great to have somebody from the other side of the United States join us today. We've done people that are uh, from Cal- from Colorado, so I think you're the the farthest left, the farthest left that we've gone. So uh, thank you for joining us from the from the West Coast. Yes, sir. So what, where are you at in California? Orange County, Anaheim. All right. So you're in Anaheim. So what's the latest with the fires out there? You know, I think most of them in Southern California are suppressed now. Okay, uh, a couple good. of weeks ago, it was really bad. And last week, the skies were just plain orange and ash was raining down all the way to the beaches. Man. So it was, it was really bad in Southern California. Yeah. So the uh, what's the is the state pretty much still shut down from COVID or are they opening up or what's going on with that? Now, Gavin's uh, still wielding a pretty heavy hand and keeping the state locked down and uh, pretty reticent to open most industries. I think the cosmetology industry just got some some room, but uh, most dining and group experiences are still shuttered. Yeah, we're here in Florida, and uh, we just got notified. The day is is Friday, September twenty fifth, and we just got notified from uh, our great governor, Governor DeSantis, that he has gone to phase three. So that is uh, a further opening up of the state. And uh, I'm, I haven't had a chance to read what all that means, but I think it allows full capacity at restaurants and possibly a further opening of the rest of the bars and lounges as well. When they open, uh, he just allowed the, the bars and the lounges to open a couple of weeks ago and they were they were at 50 percent capacity. So I believe those are those may be opened up as well to 100 percent. So we'll see. But it's, um, you know, if you look at. Florida and California, that's kind of a, an opposite in how the governors have handled that. Uh, Florida's been pretty much on the on the leading edge of opening the state and, and uh, to the businesses. So uh, California, I think they opened early and they went back, they closed back down. So it's uh, it's a tale of two two states there. So, so well said. So true. Yeah, we were. Uh, it's funny. I was uh, before we started recording for the show we were we were talking about the uh, previous guests that we had and and we were actually talking about some of the uh, one of the the rules or the laws that that uh, your governor out there 
uh, Gavin Newsom passed related to to uh, production of automobiles. I believe it's in 2035 where he's limiting or either ceasing the production of gasoline automobiles in the state of California. So that's uh, that'll be interesting to see what the effect of that is. You'll, you'll have a jacked up prices for used cars in the state and you'll probably have a lot of people buying gasoline automobiles from outside the state and still driving them inside of california so it'll be an interesting to see what that happens but that's that's way down the road right i really don't think gavin oh gavin will be around that long i think uh we'll have a new governor who who will repeal that action just like when president obama limited uh horsepower by 20, uh, I think it was 24, you right. know, it was impending. It was coming really close. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, President Trump repealed that immediately. So, you know, we have a horsepower wars going on right now. And the irony of all that is, in my mind, is car culture really started in California. That's you true. Know, the customization of cars, uh, street racing, yeah. car culture, Route 66. car hops. Uh, drive-in theaters. Oh yeah. I mean, we're California's car culture. So to take the combustion engine from us is is kind of kneecapping two thirds of the population that has a garage and loves to tinker with their automobile. Exactly. And we're if you look not just in California but across America, we love our cars. And and there's a lot of people that li- that like big cars, fast cars, and those with horsepower. Even the big suburbans. I mean, give me the Mustang right. or the big suburban. People like that. I mean, don't don't try to take that away from people, or you're going to have a problem. No, and just the tinkering with the equipment and and keeping your car in tuned up shape or upgrading it is a great hobby for a lot of people. And getting on your phone and messing around with an app to tweak your car. <laughs> just doesn't have the same tactile experience of the grease under your fingernails. Exactly. Yeah, that little uh, <laughs> sewing machine electric car is not quite the same thrill as uh, getting in a Mustang, is it? Yeah. Well, it's good. So, um, we, like I said, I am in the state of Florida, so we're actually on the, the sunny coast of uh, northwest Florida. I'm in the, the great studio of 38TV, and this is uh, Studio A that we're in today. I'm going to call that the, uh, it's called A because of answers that count. So we are in the 98 distillery right here in, uh, we'll call it Destin, Florida. So we got sunshine from Florida and the sunshine from California. So uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's great that you're on the on the show today. So being from Florida, we legalized uh, the use of medical marijuana a few years ago. So that's what we're going to talk about today. I know that that California has kind of been the, we call it the wild west when it comes to the use of medical or marijuana, the legalization of marijuana. So those are, those can be different extremes. I know you've got a lot more, a lot more open uh, use of marijuana as far as what's legally allowed, uh, not just from a medical purpose out in California compared to what we have in, in Florida. So tell, tell, tell our audience a little bit about the, the differences between the two, and then we'll zero in on the the product that you have developed. Thank you. Uh, so most cannabis legalization really starts with medical, medicinal. Right. And legislators in most states find that to be a plausible, reasonable uh, opening in the dialogue 
from prohibition to legalization. And the uh, issue of sick people needing cannabis for as their medicine is kind of an issue that no one can really say no to, especially in the face of all of the evidence that cannabis is great medicine for right. a variety of ailments. Um, it has, it can't kill you. The LD50 is zero and the side effects are absolutely minimal with the main one being, if you take too much, you get high. Right. And some people don't like that. Some people have negative experiences. Some people do like that. Um, but that's a separate discussion related to the legalization of cannabis. Medicinal is really that, that opening dialogue. Right. And once legislators gain comfort with their policy and metrics within the state of arrests and uh, uh, just various metrics of problems start to pan out, then the legislators are able to make more informed decisions about do we maintain status quo at medical or do we move on into less restrictive forms like recreational full uh, legalization right. um, where you can have out in California, we have dispensaries that are stores. They're not even called dispensaries anymore. They're just cannabis stores and they look like liquor stores. So if you want to go in and any Tom, Dick or Harry, if they want to go buy cannabis, they don't have to have a, a prescription to get that in California. Is that right? No, sir. And they're on about every other block and you just have to be 18 and have an ID. Wow. Yeah, that is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a tough issue and, and um, people fall on both sides of that. It, and it's, it's a much easier argument. It's a much, more, it's a much easier convince that there's a medical reason for that and there's a medical benefit, especially when you see the, the rise of opioid abuse and use and deaths in the United States. And if you can replace any of that with, with truly uh, a medical use of, med of, me of marijuana, that makes a lot of sense. If you can, you can have a much more uh, stable use of that and a replacement of the opioids. You know, that's a great point. The opioid crisis really has been the catalyst um, to uh, fuel the uh, medicinal legalization of cannabis across the country. It started in California in the 1980s because we had an initial AIDS crisis with a, the largest population of those affected in San Francisco. And a lot of people in Northern California, California has been pot culture since the 60s. Uh, it's ubiquitous. And the AIDS culture uh, was using cannabis to uh, abate the symptoms of AIDS. Right. Uh, wasting, thrash, nausea. And they were reporting to their physicians that their cannabis use was helping. The other side of that is that at that time, there was only a synthetic form known as Marinol. It's now generic known as Dronabinol, which is a single molecule Delta 9 THC molecule that the doctors and the pharmaceutical companies initially developed to replace the cannabinoid natural form because the doctor's initial 
issue was they couldn't write a prescription. They couldn't fill it. They couldn't, all they could really say to the patient was, well, if that's helping, keep doing that. And that was always kind of on the down low, on the QT. Uh, doctors would put their medical licenses at risk by even acknowledging that. And so it's really within the AIDS community that the activist community for cannabis really organized, um, passed the Compassionate Act use of 1996, which is uh, Health and Safety Code 11367.5. And that's the beginning of the history of the legalization in California and the trajectory over to recreational, which I think is really a beautiful thing because today we have over half the states in the United States that have at least medicinal laws and nearly a quarter of the states have full recreational. So the trajectory towards full legalization has actually happened, occurred a bit quicker than I've expected. And I think that the next thing to happen and kind of the final step to occur is for the DEA to reschedule cannabis from a one to a two or a three, allowing doctors to safely use cannabinoids, particularly for pain, in that medial section on the one to 10 pain scale of four to seven, where your NSAIDs, your non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, Tylenol, Motrin, ibuprofen, really cease efficacy. Doctors typically would pre-indicate hydrocodone at about a pain level four, which is just a sprained ankle for most uh, work-related injuries. And now you've got a person on the sofa getting their brain tickled with opioids, uh, not going to work, watching TV, and society needs people going back to work from an injury. Yeah, it makes a lot of Especially an injury that doesn't require opioids. Right, it makes a lot of sense from a, from a medical perspective. There's going to be a lot of uh, pushback in a lot of places for the uh, purely recreational. So we'll see how that comes out, and time, time will tell what the outcome of that is. Let's talk a little bit about the the business side of that, because with the with the regulatory environment that that's in, there's been a lot of changes that we've all seen probably within the last couple of years with the capital markets as well. And the a lot of Canadian markets um, became active in the medical marijuana or the marijuana industry. So give us a little history on that, on what happened initially and where that is today. I think a lot of that's dried up as far as the the Canadians coming into investing in U.S. companies, but give us the insight on that. Well, there was a real rush when the recreational laws passed in California for investors, and a lot of them got burned. Um, a lot of deals didn't pan out. Valuations were off, and um, taxation in California is really high. The regulatory environment is stiff. Uh, the barrier to entry to a GMP, general manufacturing principles environment, uh, not utilizing pesticides or heavy metals in your nutrients such that your finished product passes testing um, so that it can 
satisfy the requirements for the retail market. Um, those factors have really not eliminated the illegal market. They've kind of balanced out the black market. So the black There's market really, is strong in California. It's stronger almost than it's ever been. Even uh, with the so the legalization of marijuana, even on a recreational basis, has still allowed the push the black market to to flourish. Yes, because the police's desire or mandate to enforce cannabis laws in a in a legal state is now a lower priority. So when it was fully illegal, if you had 10 people producing illegally for every 100 in the state, now you've got 50 for every 100 producing. Because in this legal environment, people feel that they can fill their garage or, you know, a couple bedrooms and produce some weight and out the back door and across state lines to a dry state. And you've just got five times on your money. So the enforcement is not as stringent now that they've legalized it in the state of California. So you've got the black market is people are producing and growing marijuana in the state and then selling it in other states that, that are not legal in any way. We're the number one supplier of the black market in dry states. Interesting. Nobody's getting Mexican weed anymore. Nobody's shipping Mexican weed over the border. Only the expensive stuff's coming over the border in smaller quantities. Are Those they? big bales, nobody's messing with them anymore. So we get better quality right here in California, and it's easier to get it across the California border than it is the U.S. border. Wow, so that's interesting. So the legalization is really, instead of capturing all of that and, and being able to tax it, then you see the black market flourishing and selling it in other states where none of that's being caught by the system. Exactly, which is why those other states need to acknowledge that their continued prohibition of cannabis is an untenable position and they should be benefiting from the tax revenue and they should open the business model. Right. So what when you when you made the the point that the uh, a lot of the Canadian money capital markets that came into the state of California to invest in those companies that they got burned what what caused that? So the valuation was too high when they made the initial investment. Well, that's a that's a small part of it. I think really the major portion is just the lack of sophistication and kind of the clash between sophisticated European investors coming into a opening burgeoning U.S. market that's full of cowboys. Right. Interesting. That don't really speak business talk, don't really understand uh, pro formas or valuations or budgets, and now they're now the, the the cowboys are forced to take off the galoshes of a grower and put on the business tie of a businessman, and that's a rough trajectory for a lot of a lot of folks. Interesting. So tell me about the um, the tax code. Is makes it a very steep curve as well from a business model. And tell me about the what's deductible for taxes in a normal income statement for a grower 
or someone selling um, medical mar- or mar- marijuana that's legalized in the state of California, what are they what are they up against from just a taxation standpoint on their federal tax return? So, honestly, I'm not exactly sure because the numbers have changed recently, so I don't want to misstate what the tax numbers are, but I can say this. Tax code 280E in California, which allows for the deduction of COGS, cost of goods sold, is illegal. So that's actually the third factor. And I was trying to think of that when you were asking me about the factors as to why the black market is still burgeoning. The high tax cost, 280E is the other factor. The fact that we have to pay for our cost of goods sold. And then the barrier of entry, just the cost of manufacturing um, makes it attractive for a lot of people to just stay out of the... It makes it very hard. Yeah, so for those those watching this, the cost of goods sold is typically one of the largest expense items on on a uh, business's income statement. So if you're not allowed to deduct that for calculation of your taxable income then that's a that's a big penalty because you got to pay the money out anyway you're spending that money but you don't get a deduction for it exactly and that's huge and i believe the state's working on that issue so that that is um i guess that's the next the next frontier is um what happens on the federal level because those are those are federal tax code that's that's preventing that deduction and we see the the uh, and you made reference to it before. It's the it's the reclassification of of uh, cannabis from a one uh, class one to a class two or three, uh, because it also that also affects the banking how companies are able to bank. I mean they're not able to make their deposits and and withdrawals in a normal uh, banking institution either if they're in the cannabis business. Is that correct? It's exactly correct. It makes it very difficult. And uh, an industry of moving cash around has grown as a result. Right. So anytime you're dealing with with currency, there's a lot of risk in that. There's just the the street element of that, that that makes it a higher risk for the criminal element to be involved. It makes it uh, a higher risk that there's going to be embezzlement and, and money, cash goes missing. So uh, you just got a lot of complications with that because people like to deal with banks. It's a lot secure. It's a lot. You have a lot higher accountability if you're dealing with banks rather than than a bunch of dollar bills and current hard currency that people are transacting business. Very true. Yeah. So let's jump over to um, tell me a little bit about your business. I know you're the product that you're you have created uh, has, it's in the medical marijuana field. Is that right? Yes, sir. It's a prescription tablet that is uh, divisible, titratable, whole, and active. Um, It's really what the prescribing community needs. Um, I can speak for the prescribing community in California really understands that we've been a cannabis state legal now for nearly 20 years and a little over 20 years and we have a deep history of cannabis so there's really not a prescribing professional that 
hasn't heard about cannabis or doesn't think it's medicine or hasn't heard a testimonial from a patient of theirs that said cannabis benefited my ex ailment. Right. right. So the issue for doctors is how do they prescribe on their prescription pad cannabis? No doctor's ever going to write smoke half a joint, take two gummies, take two bites of a brownie, take three puffs off of a vape cartridge and call me in the morning. That's not measurable. That's not measurable, right? What's measurable is milligrams over body weight over time. That's titration. And all drugs are titrated, uh, particularly drugs of abuse. And so when a, when a doctor prescribes a drug that could potentially be abused, like benzodiazepines, opioids, uh, amphetamines, all of those drugs have the propensity for a person to deviate from what's prescribed, right. doctor's orders. And that's called drug-seeking behavior. That's considered, uh, that's illegal. Right. So... In order for the prescribing community to truly feel comfortable about the dosing of something that in their mind can be abused, it has to be manufactured in a form that the prescribing community can prescribe milligrams over body weight over time, where you're delivering a therapeutic dose of the cannabinoid in the person to alleviate the underlying condition without getting them high. Interesting. So we're looking right now at the website for C3, and the uh, on the home page says the first standardized form of medical cannabis. So is that um, that sounds like that's a first? Do you have a patent for that, or or what what protects the uh, this product that you're able to market? So we're currently a post-proof-of-concept, pre-revenue life sciences company. And in the life sciences drug development industry, our products are typically chemicals. So as such, a chemical is not something that any pharmaceutical company files a patent on unless they're prepared to, to defend it. So there's a doctrine of law and patent law known as trade secrets. Mm-hmm. So we operate as trade secrets as a privately held company. Um, we expect that within a three to five year window, we'll be m and mergers and acquisitions, and at 30 to 40x uh, annual revenue. And at that time, we will, once paid, of course, give them the recipe and their legal counsel can then file for that app, that patent protection um, chemical recipes only get 15 years versus most other patents get 25. So we've already been at this for about six years. If I'd have filed that patent, we'd be down to nine years left and I mm. would have been eating up that time. Right. So it was really a strategic decision to operate under trade secrets and not place ourselves in a potentially litigious position. Right. Well, Steele, we are nearing the end of the the recorded show for the for the radio spot, so we're gonna do a uh, a uh, break here. So I want to thank you 
for uh, educating us on the cannabis industry, the history out in California, and it, as it really was the leader across the United States. And uh, the, we've talked uh, primarily about the legalization for medical purposes. And uh, it's interesting to hear your take on that. And we appreciate that. This is very informative uh, about what you've got going on with the own pro- your own product and how that'll be hitting the market soon. And uh, hang around. I'll be right back with you. Those that are watching, uh, stay tuned for the post show. We'll do a wrap up on the post show where we touch on a few more items. I'm your host, Charles Musgrove. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Answers That Count. Be sure and uh, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, hit the alert button. We're on Apple Podcasts, Roku TV, and at Fire TV as well. Be sure to subscribe there. Check us out each week. Have a great day. Have a blessed week. Peace. Answers That Count is brought to you by The Bean Team. For all your business accounting needs, visit beanteam.com for more info. You can listen to more episodes of Answers That Count on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and iHeartRadio. Or visit answersthatcount.com.